Today, 156 of Shaped by the Word. We're in our third season, and of course, our third season is the story of the prophets. We said from the beginning, the prophets uh, are a wonderful bridge between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, or the Old Testament and the New Testament. Uh, they begin to take shape or bring form to the promises of God and how those promises will one be one day be fulfilled, you know, in a Messiah in a new covenant and a covenant that is not, you know, just simply a, a law for us to follow, but a deep heart transformation that allows us to be and do everything, you know, that God has uh, called us to be. So we come to Jeremiah 10. We're reading through Jeremiah, which is. Uh, the prophet who has given us most of the Old Testament literature that we have, writing about the book of Jeremiah and Lamentations, called a major prophet because we have a lot of his oracles. Uh, When we come to chapter 10, it sounds a little bit like Isaiah. Um, He has the same complaint. Uh, You are erecting these idols, and these idols are nothing more. In this particular instance, he said, what's the difference between the idol you worship in the temple and the scarecrow that you put in your your field? Uh, Neither one of them can harm you or do anything for your good. Uh, So we come to uh, chapter 10, and once again, God's critique of those things that we often attach our affections to. And this is not just speaking about idolatry. Uh, you know, in the form that it took in Israel, but also idolatry in the form it takes in our hearts as well. Heavenly Father, our hearts are uh, idol factories. We find so many things to delight in and so many things to attach our affections to and so many things, you know, that, that we possess or we own or we do or we accomplish that uh, wrap up our identity and how we think of ourselves. Uh, rather than thinking ourselves through the gifts you've given us through grace. As we hear this critique of idols, may you open our eyes to see the idols in our heart. And and may you give us the grace, Father, uh, to turn from worthless idols, as Paul said of the Thessalonians, to the true and living God. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen. Jeremiah 10. Hear what the Lord says to you, people of Israel. This is what the Lord says. Do not learn the ways of the nations or be terrified by signs in the heaven, though the nations are terrified by them. For the practices of the people are worthless. They cut a tree out of the forest, and a craftsman shapes it with his chisel. They adorn it with silver and gold, and they fasten with hammer and nails so that it will not totter. Like a scarecrow and a cucumber filled, their idols cannot speak. They must be carried because they cannot walk. Do not fear them. They can do no harm, nor can they do good. No one is like you, Lord. You are great, and your name is mighty in power. Who should not fear you? King of the nations, this is your due. Among all the wise leaders of the nations and all their kingdoms, there is none like you. They are all senseless and foolish. They are taught by worthless wooden idols. Hammered silver is brought from Tarsus and gold from Mufaz. What the craftsmen and the goldsmith have made is then dressed in blue and purple, all made by skilled workers. But the Lord is the true God. He is the living God, the eternal king. When he is angry, the earth trembles. The nations cannot endure his wrath. Tell them this. These gods who did not make the heavens and the earth will perish from the earth and from under the heavens. But God who made the earth by his power, he founded the world by his wisdom and stretched out the heavens by his understanding. When he thunders, the water in heavens roar. He makes clouds rise from the ends of the earth. He sends lightning with rain and brings out uh, the wind from his storehouse. Everyone is senseless and without knowledge. Every goldsmith is shamed by his idols. The images he makes are a fraud. They have no breath in them. They're all worthless, the objects of mockery. When their judgment comes, they will perish. He who is the portion of Jacob is not like these. 
for he is the maker of all things, including Israel and the people of his inheritance. The Lord Almighty is his name. Gather up your belongings to leave the land, you who live under siege. For this is what the Lord says. This time I will hurl out those who live in the land. I'll bring disaster on them so that they may be captured. Woe to me because of my injury. My wound is incurable. Yet I said to myself, this is my sickness and I must endure it. My tin is destroyed, all its rubs are snapped, my children are gone from me, and they are no more. No one is left now to pinch my tent or set up my shelter. Shepherds are senseless and do not inquire of the Lord, so they do not prosper and all their flock is scattered. Listen, the report is coming. A great commotion from the land of north. It will make the towns of Judah desolate, a haunt of jackals. Lord, I know that the people's lives are not their own. Is it not for them to direct their steps? Discipline me, Lord, but only in due measure, not in your anger, or you will reduce me to nothing. Pour out your wrath on the nations that do not acknowledge you, on the peoples who do not call on your name, for they have devoured Jacob. They have devoured him completely and destroyed his homeland. If you love Jeremiah's prayer at the end, Lord, deal with me as you need to, but be be gentle uh, because of what I deserve and, and what I can take are two different things. And, of course, he's realizing the same thing is true of Israel. What she truly deserves and what she can endure you know, are, are, are two different things. And God is acting even in judgment in, in kindness for his glory and for the sake of his people. He has endured uh, you know, great offenses against himself, and he is jealous uh, in, in the most beautiful way that someone could be jealous he is jealous of everything that would destroy us everything that would ruin us everything uh, that would render us less than what he created us and ultimately has redeemed us uh, to be in, in judgment as part of his grace mm-hmm. when you get to love chapters like this you know that we see you know, maybe at times the, the righteousness of God or the wrath of God or the judgment of God, it, it also it serves to awaken us. You know, when we begin to see that our propensity is just like Israel towards these various idols and towards these things, you know, that, that we worship all around us, we need to be reminded that there is no one that's like the Lord, you know, that he's great, his name is mighty in power, that he's the creator of the heavens and the earth. You know, and we need to see portraits of him like this that that really do kind of awaken our affections for him and and move our hearts away from idolatry so i mean yeah and on the one hand you get you know the language they use you know can be terrifying but when he's angry the earth trembles the nations cannot endure his wrath and yet on the other hand you see that you see that part of this is because god loves his covenant people you know and so even when he says you know i'm going to drive you out of the land you begin to realize man they are, they are forsaking the blessing that came from from the covenant, you know, from covenant obedience. And so part part of this is seeing this kind of multifaceted picture of a God who is who is good and kind and wise and at the same time is is just and, and cannot, you know, look away from sin. And and so trying to hold those two things together when and then which you capture beautifully leads us to Jeremiah's prayer at the end. Oh man, you know, deal with us you know, graciously. <laughs> now that is uh, 
uh, the and, and of course there's two themes that run you know side by side in this particular chapter. Uh, one is the creation of idols, you know, that have to be nailed down so that they will not teeter. Uh, that are adorned in silver and then dressed, you know, with clothes. Can't even you know dress themselves. You have to carry them from one place to another uh, because they cannot walk and they cannot you know talk. And then you have the other you know the other theme you have is the Lord God who created the heavens and the earth. Uh, and you have uh, these wonderful, you know, themes of creation in there. You know, no one is like you. You're great and your name is mighty in power. Who should not fear you, king of nations? You know, this is your due. Among all the wise leaders of the nations and all their kingdoms, there is no one like you. But God made the earth by his power. He founded the world by his wisdom and stretched out the heavens by his understanding. When he thunders, the water and heavens roar. He makes clouds rise from the ends of the earth. He sends lightning with rain and brings out the wind you know, from his storehouse. And so you not only have, you, know, you have these two beautiful creation themes. Not only is God created the world in wisdom in power and in might but he is the one who sustains it mm-hmm. and is involved in it mm-hmm. and of course israel is rejecting you know their very sustenance you know and rejecting the lord and it's just amazing how it seems time and time again this seems to just play out in scripture that i know as you allude to in your prayer my heart is such an idol factory fortunately I don't have a scarecrow in a cucumber field but I got lots of things that I'm turning to that are worthless and dead. And yet only until my heart and my eyes see and behold this God that from those verses you just read, the guy who, God who made the heavens and the earth, who sustains all things, only when I've gotten a glimpse of that can I then begin to see just how far superior he is and worthy uh, of my devotion, which would then take my devotion away from those yeah. worthless idols. You know, John, you know, John really, you know, introduces us to, you know, kind of modern idolatry, you know, versus all the trappings, you know, when he says, you know, do not love the world or anything in the world for anyone who loves the world, the love of the father is not in them for everything in the world, uh, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh. Uh, the boastful pride of life comes not from the Father, you know, but from the world. And, and of course, those, you know, those big things to possess something, uh, you know, to have our, you know, to have our deepest longings gratified, you know, to be thought of as someone by some other people. These are the kind of things, you know, that capture us and pull us away. Mm-hmm. And, and of course, Jesus identifies in the, you know, in the parable of the weeds, you know, the worries of this life and the deceitfulness mm-hmm. of, of wealth or, or stuff. You know, that our identities are so tied in. And so, yeah, we don't have a scarecrow in a cucumber field, but we probably have, you know, a garage full of things that once we had to have and now just, you know, kind of lay in a corner gathering dust. And it's yeah. easy, too, to just think, well, I just need to work a little harder to get rid of some of those things distracting me, you know, from, from God and Christ. Like, let me just, I'm going to take it really serious today. And, and while that is kind of some of it, it's really not... It, it's no, let me work really hard to let my heart be recaptured by Christ, his kingdom, him as the true king. And only when my heart's seen the elevated Jesus can I actually begin through his grace and the spirit at work in my life to, to free it up from some of those idols rather than just, you know, as we're going through Luke 15 as church, you know, kind of being this older brother of let me just serve the father really hard and, and earn these things from him rather than just delighting and who he is and what he's graciously given me, can then that inward work of my heart begin to change? 
there's a nice little piece in you know in verse 16 uh, he's the portion of jacob in other words he is a, a a strong inheritance that he has given to you and the inheritance is not simply in the land and in the blessings of the land but is in his presence in their life which is the source and the fount of all blessing and of course israel would have been wise to say take away the land take away the fruit of the land but do not you know forsake us or leave us with his presence which is what david did in his sin don't yeah. cast your holy spirit from me you can have the kingdom you can have the palace you can have everything else but don't remove your presence which is yeah. great if which, we that have. was moses's you know yeah. when god said all right go you, you want to do your own thing go and I he said, go, no unless go. you're going with us we're not going yeah. you know and and that's the tension this talking about John, you know, and thinking about idols and just our worship with God. I mean, John concludes that letter in First John with little children keep yeah, yourselves from, keep idols, yourself from because idols because he knows that our our tendency is to go after those things. And, and so, you know, what what is John's antidote you know, throughout that letter? It's to fix our eyes on on who God is, what He's done in Christ Jesus, and and who we are in Him. I mean, even to realize that, what it means to be born of God. Yeah, it, it is a it is rich. And all that. And David, why don't you close us with a word of prayer? Let's pray. Um, Father, we ask um, that you would once again take the throne of our hearts, um, that we be captured again, not by the things of this world, but by the creator of all things, which is you, that we'd marvel in the fact that you've made yourself known to us, and even more, you've, you've given us your son. And so may we look to him, and in him, and in Christ alone, may we find refreshing um, may we find what we've been looking for all along. And we know that's only found in Jesus. We pray it's all in his name. Amen. <laughs>